Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for listening and downloading. My name is Ian Castleberry, and I'm a writer, editor, and podcaster. I just returned from the drugstore where I stood in front of the 50% off Easter candy shelf just to torture myself. So many chocolate eggs and bunnies. Bad timing for me on Easter. I went to the doctor for a long overdue visit a few weeks ago, like 18 months overdue. I didn't have health insurance last year. No rant here. It's my fault. Although I think a certain provider that rhymes with poo boss, poo yield, along with our local hospital system, didn't help matters. Anyway, the doctor told me what I knew I'd hear. Got to bear down on the diet. Blood sugar is too high. And I need to lose some weight. So not a good time to stick my face in an Easter basket full of chocolates. Just to get a little more personal here, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes just over four years ago after I developed an infection that had to be surgically removed. As part of my recovery, I went on what's now popularly called the keto diet, and it was very effective. I lost more than 40 pounds, my blood sugar came way down, and I no longer needed to take insulin. But what happened from there is pretty typical. After being really strict with carbs for nearly a year, I started to eat some of what I'd been avoiding. I'd like to think I was still being careful, but I really wasn't. I gained about half my weight back, and my blood sugar went back up. Those two developments didn't encounter much resistance when I went through 2018 without health insurance. So I'm hitting the reset button. I don't know if I'm ready to go back on a keto diet, but it might come to that. I'd actually like to eat less meat this time around, though, And I didn't like that I needed to avoid fruits and beans. So I'm eating ancient grains. Sounds like something I should be eating with Wilford Brimley. Things like farro, amaranth, wild rice, and quinoa. What the heck is quinoa? Hey, bulk food aisle. How you doing? Maybe I'm kidding myself, but I think I can do this without being so strict and meat heavy. But check back with me in about three months. Oh, I did give up dairy, so there's that. Didn't go completely vegan, but I read an article about several Los Angeles Dodgers players giving up dairy in the offseason. And I thought to myself, you know, I think I can do that. So I've been doing that for about a month. Other than having to catch myself with putting feta cheese on a salad... Swiss cheese on a turkey sandwich, and remembering that I need to use uh, almond milk or coconut milk or something like that with uh, a coffee, it's been a smooth ride. I don't think it's made much difference yet, though. All right, was that too much? Sorry about that. Hope you enjoyed your Easter or Passover. Here's the original introduction I had planned for this week. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the podcast is going to be, so I appreciate your patience in following along with me. Most of the shows recorded thus far have been a bit shorter than I expected. They certainly didn't seem like they'd be short when I wrote them out. So rather than focus solely on a single topic, I've been trying to combine two or more in the past couple of episodes. Hopefully the transition between subjects has been relatively smooth. One thing I'll try to do from here on out is warn you guys if we're moving on to topics that might not appeal to everybody. For instance, not all of you are sports fans, but I'd like to touch on some sports stuff now and then. And I know many of you aren't into geek culture, other than seeing a Marvel movie or two. 
Besides, I can talk about a lot of that stuff on the Amusement Park podcast each week. I'll try to provide a heads up in the show notes if you'd prefer to skip past certain topics, but I'll also put in a warning like Geek Alert or Sports Alert. No Geek Alert this week, but I do want to talk about something sports-related toward the end of the show, so the Sports Alert will make its debut. Okay, let's move it along. This might be too much of a curb your enthusiasm scenario, so it wouldn't surprise me if Larry David actually dealt with something like this on his show. No, I haven't watched the entire series. It's on the list of things to do someday, but then I see that we're talking about 90 episodes, and that just makes me tired and I want to do something else. I like to think I hold doors open for people relatively often. It just feels like one of those things that can make living together in this society somewhat pleasant. A demonstration of courtesy or politeness that results in a civil exchange between others. They thank you for holding the door, you return the sediment with a you're welcome or sure, and everything seems okay for a couple of breaths. Of course, it doesn't take much for me to change my mood and direct the full force of my disdain at my fellow citizens, usually silently. This is often the difference between real life and curb your enthusiasm. But if I hold the door for someone and he or she doesn't thank me or otherwise acknowledge the gesture with something like a smile or nod, I will direct the full searing heat of my dislike at that person. Usually keeping it to myself, but the F-bombs and MFers are booming in my head. I'm trying to keep it clean here, but there will be times when the profanity just has to fly here on the podcast. Not today. But how long should you be expected to hold a door open for someone? Hold the door! Hold the door! Hold the door! Sure, it depends on the situation, and many variables like personal preference factor in. Like if you saw an elderly person using a walker, maybe you can expect to wait a little bit longer than you would normally. For one thing, you don't want to hurry him or her up. And more likely than not, you're going to wait to open the door and hold it until that person is close to the entrance or exit. So here's the scenario that's making me ask this question. I was at the movies and heading to the bathroom after the curse of La Llorona was finished. More on that movie later. But a few steps behind me were a dad with at least a couple of kids, and I heard him say he needed to use the bathroom. Figuring he was pretty close behind me, I held the door for him but then no one was behind me. I turned back and the guy was asking the kids if they needed to use the bathroom, a conversation that was taking longer than the yes or no exchange you might presume. I don't know exactly how long I was holding the door, I wasn't counting, but it was long enough for me to notice. So let's say longer than five seconds. That felt like enough. So I let go of the door to walk into the bathroom. But as I let go, the guy was coming toward me, and we made eye contact. So it may have looked like I saw him and decided not to hold the door for him. Apparently that's how he perceived it, because he glared at me as we stepped toward the urinals. Yeah, he glared. I could feel it, and looked back at him to confirm. What the hell? And just because it's a question that might be asked, he was white. So two white guys here. Maybe I had an annoyed look on my face, probably true, and he was wondering what my deal was. 
Maybe he thought that I took a look at him and decided I wasn't holding the door for him. But I don't think I misperceived this brief moment of tension. And as I was finishing my business, this question occurred to me. How long should I have held the door open there? Or maybe I should stop trying to be nice. Civility be damned. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You might have to search under my name, Ian Castleberry, that's C-A-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-R-Y, until we get a few more shows in our archive. Also, leave a rating, or even better, a review if you're so inspired. We could use the signal boost in that big iTunes and Apple podcast space. Any feedback you can offer is very much appreciated, and I don't take that time or effort for granted. The podcast is also available for listening, downloads, and subscriptions on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, and TuneIn. Being on TuneIn means you should be able to listen to this on Amazon Echo, but Alexa can't quite pick up the difference between podcasts and podcast. Yeah, maybe I should have picked a different name. But you can still find us on the TuneIn app and website if that's how you like to listen to your podcasts but iTunes kind of makes this whole thing go around. Thank you for listening and downloading. Yeah, we're doing another movie review this week. I wasn't planning on seeing The Curse of La Llorona until Mr. Asheville Movies, Edwin Arnodin, asked me if I wanted to review it for the local alternative newspaper, Mountain Express. Sure, why not? I don't see that many horror movies, so I certainly haven't written very much about them. And Edwin assigned a short word count, so I could definitely come up with something to say within that limit. So instead of a Thursday night off movie-wise, the week before Avengers Endgame, I checked out The Curse of La Llorona. Now, I'm not above making that easy joke. I apologize if you're disappointed. But I love my Sharona. So I'm taking an excuse to use that song here. And it's too bad this movie didn't make the same choice, because maybe it would have been more fun that way. I know, horror movies are supposed to be scary, and La Llorona is part of the Conjuring Cinematic Universe, the only cinematic universe besides Marvel's that's had any staying power, which presumably means that it has to be serious and frightening. I say presumably because I've only seen one of the Conjuring movies, the first one with Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, and I was more frightened of Farmiga in Up in the Air because of what her character did to George Clooney's Ryan Bingham. How could she do that to him? She broke his heart! I'll get to the other Conjuring movies eventually, although I'm starting to feel about these movies the way I feel about the Fast and Furious series. I don't really have to watch all of these movies, right? There are what? Four other stories with the Annabelle movies and The Nun. And there's another Annabelle coming out this year and The Conjuring 3 next year. Yeah, okay. I'll get to those. But I can already check one off my list now that I've seen The Curse of La Llorona. I didn't even realize this was a Conjuring movie until attacked on flashback with a glimpse of that infamous demonic Annabelle doll. Ooh, you got me, Conjuring Cinematic Universe. Just like La Llorona gets Mexican children, there is no escape. Your children, Mincing. Mincing. are safe now. But have they heard her crying? Have they felt the sting of her tears? They will. And she will come for them. Who? La Giordona. So here's the story. 
La Llorona, or The Weeping Woman, is based on a Mexican folktale in which a woman drowned her two children as revenge against her unfaithful husband, who tuve sexo con otra mujer. Those years of junior high and high school Spanish are finally paying off. Thank you, podcasting. As the legend goes, her spirit has been haunting, kidnapping, and killing young children for the past 300 years, attempting to get back the kids she murdered. Social worker Annotate Garcia and her two children have the grave misfortune of crossing paths with La Llorona after one of her cases reaches a mysterious, then very tragic end. Anna is played by Linda Cardellini, who was in Freaks and Geeks and Green Book, among many other films, but I choose to remember her as Clint Barton's wife, Laura, from Avengers Age of Ultron. I hope Thanos didn't kill you, Hawkeye's wife. We'll find out this week. So the two Garcia kids then spend most of the story being haunted by something in the shadows or behind a curtain. Here's where the inherent comedy of many horror movies comes in, because we should be able to laugh with, or at, the ineptness of those who should know better than to turn around suddenly, look behind that curtain, or go up into an attic when running away from a ghost. Haven't these people seen any horror movies? Okay, since we're talking about grade school age kids, maybe we should cut them a break. Maybe their mother doesn't let them watch scary movies. Mommy shouldn't let her kids watch The Curse of La Llorona either, but not because it isn't scary. There is some haunting imagery when the ghost in the bridal dress creeps in, particularly with scenes involving a car window and a transparent umbrella. But director Michael Chavez clearly isn't confident that his movie was scary enough, so he amps up the fright with cheap jump scares. There are a whole lot of jump scares here. Too many, really. Quick cuts, shrieking music, and a ghost reaching out to attack her prey. Boo! Ah! Look out! Dios mio, why did you turn around? We are facing an evil. It has no bounds. The movie gets a bit more interesting when Anna is told about a faith healer slash exorcist named Rafael Alvera, played by Raymond Cruz. Rafael was once a priest, but lost his faith when the church refused to acknowledge the supernatural threats around us. He believes La Llorona is real, and wants to remove her from our mortal plane. With no other recourse, Anna asks for Rafael's help. Naturally, she and her kids are skeptical toward Raphael's use of candles, eggs, and tree buds to confirm the presence of evil spirits and ward them off. But La Llorona soon makes everyone a believer. Raphael brings some much-needed humor to the movie, especially in his interaction with the children. But his few wisecracks almost feel misplaced because the rest of the movie hasn't had a sense of humor. He's also introduced too late in the story to feel like he really matters. But maybe that's appropriate, because the movie really belongs to Anna, who's just trying to save her children. At least she doesn't scream, Get away from my children! at any point in the movie. Or maybe she did and I don't remember. I may have been hiding underneath my seat after one of those jump scares. Okay, Chavez got me with those jump scares. But this was probably a practice run for him as he's set to direct The Conjuring 3. Hopefully he's learned that movies can actually frighten people without cheap gimmicks to jolt them in their seats. I suppose it's easier to curl up and hide or make a soft landing now with so many movies having those luxury recliners. But put your feet down and go find a better horror movie than this one. 
mentioned earlier in the show, we're going to end on a sports topic. So if you're not much of a sports fan, I suppose you can wrap it up for this week, and hopefully we'll get together for the next one. But for now, let's sound the sports alert. It's not easy to be a Detroit sports fan these days. The Pistons are in the NBA playoffs, but are in the mix as the number eight seed, and by the time you hear this, they probably will have been eliminated by the Milwaukee Bucks. The Tigers are in the midst of a teardown and rebuild, though fans and experts don't think the current front office is doing a good job of accumulating the top flight prospects and draft picks that can fuel a turnaround like the one the Cubs, Astros, and Phillies have enjoyed. The Lions might have some hope, if that team can ever have hope, with their relatively new coach Matt Patricia and his New England Patriots slash Bill Belichick pedigree, and general manager Bob Quinn, who appears to be on the right path to building a good team. But fans, and maybe the coaches and front office too, question whether Matthew Stafford is really the kind of quarterback that can lead a team to a Super Bowl, and everyone would probably like to move on. That leaves the Detroit Red Wings. Hey, hey, hockey town? Detroit hasn't been hockey town in probably 10 years, as general manager Ken Holland never really adapted to the NHL implementing a salary cap. The Wings could win when owner Mike Illich was willing to spend huge money on the team and sign or trade for any star player that was needed. Brendan Shanahan, Paul Coffey, Dominic Hasek, Brett Hull, Chris Chelios, Luke Robitaille. That applied to coaches too, like Brian Murray, Scotty Bowman, Mike Babcock. But former general manager Jimmy Devolano also did an excellent job of drafting and scouting international talent. Peter Klima, Nicholas Lidstrom, Sergei Fedorov, Slava Kozlov, Vladimir Konstantinov, Thomas Holmstrom, Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Zetterberg. I'm probably missing a whole lot more. But Holland hasn't been able to develop talent and build rosters within the constraints of the salary cap. The glory days of Stanley Cup championships feel increasingly distant because of that. Lost it. Eisenman picks it up. Eisenman moving. Blue line chance. Score! Meanwhile, one of the Red Wings' greatest stars, certainly the greatest for those who have followed the team since the 1980s, went on to become one of the NHL's best general managers. But Steve Eiserman did it with another team, the Tampa Bay Lightning. During his eight-year tenure, the Lightning won a conference title and made it to the Stanley Cup Final. They also won a division title and qualified for five playoff appearances. Detroit would love that kind of run these days. Would Iserman ever return to Detroit and save the franchise from the front office the way he once did on the ice? Could number 19, the captain, lead the Red Wings back to Stanley Cup glory and make Detroit hockey town again? When Iserman stepped down as Lightning general manager in 2018 to become a consultant with the team, Red Wings fans dared to dream. Did he need a break from the front office grind? Was this to spend more time with his family? Was he done with hockey and ready for life after the sport? Or was this the first step toward a return to Detroit? Iserman's family still lived in the metro Detroit area. Was he heeding the call from his former team? After Iserman retired as an active player, he worked in the Red Wings' front office as a team vice president. But his path to the general manager chair was blocked by Jim Nill and Ken Holland, so he had to go elsewhere to fulfill that ambition. But it was a much different situation with the Wings in 2019. 
Nil became the general manager of the Dallas Stars, and after 20-plus years as Red Wings GM, Holland was finally ready to move up to a new role as senior vice president. The path was clear, and the rumblings, the hope, became louder. Finally, Stevie Y was coming back to Detroit. The timing of the announcement didn't seem ideal, though. Friday afternoon on Easter weekend? Why would the Red Wings do this as a Friday news dump? But maybe it wasn't accidental. It was April 19th, 2019. 419. In 1983, Iserman was the number four overall draft pick by Detroit. He wore number 19 for the Wings during his 22 years on the ice. Coincidence? Maybe, but probably not. Iserman was asked during his introductory press conference if the 419 thing was fate. Fate determined by PR, maybe. To hear the new executive vice president and general manager of the Detroit Red Wings, Steve Iserman. Thank you. It's time for me to get to work. Um, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, we, this organization and this fan base, as you all know, is used to winning and being successful. Um, we've got a lot of work to do, and depending on your age, you know that this takes time. Uh, we've been through this before. Uh, some, you know, it's, it's up and down for organization. It takes time, and I caution everyone and temper the excitement that this is going to take time. I cannot give you a specific linear Temper time. our excitement? What are you kidding, man? Just hearing Iserman say organization gives me a tingle. A shiver! It's not a fair comparison, of course, but the Tampa Bay Lightning did make it to the Eastern Conference Finals in Iserman's first season as general manager. But the team did miss the playoffs during the next two seasons. In 2015, however, Tampa Bay played for the Stanley Cup, eventually losing to those damn Chicago Blackhawks in six games. The Lightning did return to the conference finals in two of the next three seasons, but weren't able to follow through and win that championship. And Iserman's right. There's a lot of work to do in Detroit. The Red Wings finished seventh in the Atlantic Division with 74 points and a 32, 40, and 10 record. They were 14th in the NHL's Eastern Conference, 24 points behind the last playoff team. Only two teams were worse. Detroit won 30 fewer games than the first-place Lightning, compiling 54 fewer points for the season. It's been three seasons since the Wings were in the playoffs. They have a significant upward climb to make. Coach Jeff Blaschel received a two-year contract extension, so Iserman won't be making a decision there in the immediate future. This is a team that needs to develop, and Blaschel is probably the right coach for that, coming up through the Wings minor league system. There are some promising young players in Detroit, like Dylan Larkin, Tyler Batuzzi, Anthony Mantha, and Andreas Athanasiu. But the talent base needs to get a lot deeper. Iserman has to draft well, trade some of his veterans for prospects, good prospects, and sign some free agents who can bridge the gap Detroit has to overcome before becoming a contender again. But there's reason for excitement again. It felt right to see Iserman in front of a Red Wings backdrop with the winged wheel pinned to his lapel. He's still the captain. He's the face of championship glory for generations of Red Wings fans, many of whom saw him grow from a kid into an adult, from a talented scorer into a winning leader. I've loved sports for 30 plus years, becoming a fan as a teenager, which is later than most. I didn't do it because of my friends. I learned to love sports and appreciate athletic feats on my own. 
and some of my best memories since 1987 as a fan of Detroit sports have come from the Red Wings. Obviously, the four Stanley Cups the team has won are a big part of that. But Darren McCarty beating the hell out of Claude Lemieux in 1997, Iserman's overtime goal to beat the St. Louis Blues in 1996, Sergei Fedorov rocketing down the ice, the passing and skating artistry of the Russian Five. I love those teams, man. I had superstitions about not watching the first period on TV during the playoffs because the Wings always seemed to lose when I did. And I didn't care what anyone thought about that. It was too damn important. I still wear Red Wings shirts and caps because of it. Here in North Carolina, hockey's not that big. But occasionally, someone will say something, and we bond over the Red Wings. I've never bought a Red Wings jersey, even when the team was great. I'd probably feel a little bit better about it after losing some weight. But I might be ready to change that now that Steve Eiserman is back with Detroit. There's nothing more romantic in sports than the returning hero. But it hasn't always had a happy ending in Detroit. Alan Trammell as the Tigers manager didn't work out so well. Joe Dumars helped build a championship team with the Pistons, but eventually his success ran out. We're still waiting to see if Jim Harbaugh's return to the University of Michigan pays off, but entering year five as the Wolverines coach, fans and media are getting antsy for that stellar undefeated or one-loss season and national championship that was expected when he came back to Ann Arbor. Maybe Iserman will be the most successful of all the returning sons. Uh, but personally, as a Michigan fan, I'm hoping it's Harbaugh. <clears throat> but that would be a beautiful end to this story. Here's hoping. Oh yeah, that's dedicated to Art Regner, who played that song so often when he was the voice of Red Wings fans on Detroit's WDFN. And that's our show, folks. Hopefully you enjoyed this longer episode and the mix of topics. I hope I made it through your commute, Rob. You can let me know what you think at thepodcast at gmail.com. We're also on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at thepodcast. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-S. I can also be found on Twitter at IanCass, I-A-N-C-A-S-S, if you'd like to ping me that way. Thank you for listening, and remember, don't look behind the curtain or Steve Eiserman will jump out at you and try to hold a door open. At least I think that's the lesson to be learned from this week's podcast. Let's do this again soon, okay? Until then, be excellent to each other. Oh,